Healthy Girl Kitchen. I am obsessed with Healthy Girl Kitchen. She's a vegan food blogger and health coach. I want to be her best friend. Invigorating conversations with leading experts. Danielle spends her days helping others improve their health. This is the Healthy Girl Podcast with your host, Danielle Keith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Girl Podcast. I hope everyone's having a great day today. I don't know about you, but today in Florida, it's super rainy and kind of dreary. So it's a little bit depressing, but it's been super hot here. So it's kind of nice to have a rainy day, you know, where you can just like lay inside, relax, maybe watch a movie, get stuff done inside the house. But Anyway, I would like to tell you the health tip of the day and the cooking tip of the day. For the health tip of the day, it's super simple, but it's something that I think makes a really big difference, and that's making half your plate vegetables at lunch and dinner, and obviously at breakfast too. That's incredible if you can do that, but just making room on your plate for vegetables, that adds in the good and helps to crowd out other unhealthy foods that could be on your plate. So that can be multiple different vegetables. It could be one veggie, whatever you want. So you could do like a salad and some roasted cauliflower. You could do half your plate, green beans and roasted carrots, could be peas, kale, literally whatever you want, but just making half your plate vegetables, you not only get all kinds of vitamin C and amazing antioxidants from all those veggies, but it also helps with weight loss because veggies don't have a lot of calories. So you're filling your plate up with a low calorie food, but it's very, very high in nutrients. So it's nutrient dense, but it's not calorie dense. And it also has a ton of fiber, which is going to fill you up and just help you stop eating more. So make half your plate vegetables. It's such a good health tip. And let me know if you try it. DM me on Instagram. Let me know how you feel. For the cooking tip of the day, it kind of goes hand in hand with the health tip, but it's something I've been doing recently that honestly I wish I would have found sooner. And that's adding frozen cauliflower to my smoothies in the morning. Don't get me wrong. I know it sounds kind of gross and you might think it tastes like really cruciferous or tastes like vegetables, but I'm telling you, adding the frozen cauliflower, you do not taste it at all. Now, here's the thing. You don't want to make it with raw cauliflower. It has to be frozen because somehow that masks the flavor and it also just makes it super, super creamy and thick. I actually have a new cinnamon bun smoothie recipe on my website. So if you head to healthygirlkitchen.com, you'll find the most amazing cinnamon bun smoothie that has the frozen cauliflower in it. So if you don't know how to make a smoothie on your own, I would follow that and you can learn how to make an amazing smoothie with frozen cauliflower. So I want to talk about the guest of the day because he is someone I look up to so much. He's so incredible. He's inspiring. He has done so much for the world, so much for the animals. And his name is James Aspie. James Aspie is a vegan animal rights activist from Sydney, Australia, and he's well known for taking a year-long vow of silence and going on to reach tens of millions of people with his thought-provoking speeches. And I just want to tell you, when I first transitioned to a plant-based diet, I was not vegan for the animals. I was not vegan for ethical reasons. It was purely for health at first. But when I started finding people like James, I I found him, I think, on YouTube with one of his incredible speeches. And he just comes from a place of kindness and really comes from such a humble place 
where it makes veganism just seem like this amazing welcoming thing. I think sometimes veganism can be seen as something militant, can be seen as something where people are very um, aggressive, but he comes from such a place of kindness and he really just is an amazing person and I can't wait to speak with him and I cannot wait for you guys to hear all of the incredible information that he has to share and all of the education too because learning about the ethical side of veganism is something that everyone needs to do. In this episode, we are going to dive super deep into conversations about the ethical side of veganism and I hope you enjoy. So without further ado, let's welcome James Aspie to the podcast. Hi, James. Welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast. Hi, Danielle. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm so excited. I was saying to everyone in the intro that you're someone I look up to and when I first transitioned to a plant-based diet, I definitely was not plant-based for ethical reasons. I I first started for health reasons. I saw forks over knives as many people do and I decided to become plant-based and it wasn't until a few months later after finding people like you on YouTube and people like Gary Yarovsky and like Joey Carbstrong and all these amazing activists that really taught me how to look at a plant-based diet is not just that but look at it from the ethical side and it totally shifted my perspective and my life has really been changed ever since. And I now am vegan for the animals, number one, always. And then, you know, health second, and of course, for um, the environment. But yeah, I mean, I just want to first start off by saying I, I really do look up to you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm so happy to uh, be aware of, you know, this entire gigantic topic, this issue. And you know, the beauty is that just by sharing what we've learned regarding the ethics of how we treat animals and the benefits of a plant-based diet, which are so, so many, that it's really all you need to change the hearts and minds of people and the shift we'll see in the world when more and more people start doing this is just, you know, unparalleled, just so positive and so huge. Um, and it's so logical and anyone can do it. So, yeah, it's just such a great message to be spreading and thank you for you know doing your part in that yes and thank you so much for even talking to me coming on here being on this podcast um for those of you who don't know james is actually in australia which is wild that we're talking and it's sunday for me Mm -hmm. it's monday for him so (laughs) it's just wild in the future yeah (laughs) it's wild it's so weird yeah yeah, it's cool james you haven't always been vegan you have a very crazy, inspiring, wild journey. So can you kind of take us back to the beginning before we dive into talking all about veganism t- and tell us where your story started? Sure. It, I definitely was not always vegan. I was the total opposite. Um, I didn't even like animals at all, really. I didn't respect them. I didn't hurt them deliberately or anything, but you know, I had no empathy for them because I didn't realize that they were people in just different shaped bodies basically i thought they were really not much more intelligent than plants i didn't realize that human beings were a species of animal so i saw us as very superior and on a completely different level to every other species and um i ate meat every single meal i had ribs and steak for breakfast a lot of days i wouldn't even consider eating a meal without meat 
And I felt absolutely no shame about that because I always believed that we needed to consume meat for protein, dairy for calcium, eggs for omegas. So I felt no guilt there. And then uh, basically what happened was I got very sick. I got cancer and I nearly died. I put on a huge amount of weight and um, it led me to becoming, you know, to first of all, getting over the cancer and wanting to lose all the weight. I put on about 25 kilos, about 50 pounds, something like that. So I became a personal trainer. I was already very interested in health and, you know, for the next seven years, I was doing personal training that led me to working on a cruise ship. And one day working on the ship, I met a passenger who was very inspiring, very, very intelligent, very uh, different to most people I'd ever met before. And one of the things he told me was that eating animals is bad karma. And I told him it wasn't healthy. He told me that he'd been vegetarian for 20 years. And basically, he just made it about me for the first time. You know, I didn't care about the animals, but... I did care about me and I wanted to live a good life and be happy and, you know, live abundantly. And I thought maybe there was something to what he said, you know, would it be beneficial in my life to not eat animal products? So I just decided out of respect almost for this guy that I would try it for a week and see how I felt. And in that week of being vegetarian, I felt great. I felt so good. I, I was expecting to feel really low in energy and weak in the gym, but I was just as strong and feeling just as good, if not better. My digestion was definitely better after meals. And during that week as well, I studied, are there benefits of being vegetarian? Because I felt so good and hmm, maybe there is something to this. Maybe this guy was onto something. And that's when I realized how closed-minded I'd been to ever being a vegetarian um, because there's so much information out there on the health benefits of cutting meat and dairy and eggs from your diet. Um, you know, we're talking about reversing the number one big, biggest killer, preventing and reversing the number one biggest killer. The only diet proven to do that in the majority of patients is a whole food plant-based diet, um, a diet free from all animal products and lowering your chances of obesity and cancers and osteoporosis and diabetes and just so many diseases. And as a personal trainer, I was very excited by this information that I could help my clients more, my friends and my family more, myself more. So I decided I was going to stick to it for a while. Who knows how long for, you know what diets are like. But during this process of me being really excited and telling everyone, oh, you should go vegetarian, it's so good for your health. I was studying a lot and I saw that a lot of people's reason for being vegetarian isn't the benefits for the health. It is because they don't want to cause harm to animals. And I didn't really care, but... Um, you know, I saw it as maybe something, a topic I could look into anyway, just to give me more motivation. And I watched a documentary called Earthlings, which shows what happens in factory farms and slaughterhouses all around the world, standard legal practice. And it's just absolutely horrific. Um, it is like your worst scenes of the worst horror movie you've ever seen. These gentle, innocent, vulnerable earthlings these people in these slightly different bodies than ours four legs instead of two feathers instead of arms and skin you know like just a little different but still got a heart still got a brain still got eyes that are bulging wide in terror and screaming mouths as they're being chopped up into pieces and all of these things happen to them in order for us to consume their flesh and the secretions that come from their bodies 
And I'd seen footage like this before, but it was at a time where I thought we needed to eat animals to be healthy. So watching this again with a fresh perspective that we can thrive on a diet free from all animal products led me to the question, if we don't need to kill and eat animals to survive and thrive, how do we justify it? Why do we do it? There must be a good reason because everybody's so against animal cruelty and everyone loves animals so much. So I look into it and trying to find a good justification. And what I realized was that the best justifications we've got are because animals taste good and because it's a tradition and it's in our culture and it's just what we do. And they just were such weak, so, so weak justifications for inflicting such terror and so much violence. You know, like if these things were happening to dogs, everybody would be vegan. I mean, you know, everybody who's got a dog or cares about dogs. Um, but when it comes to pigs, cows, chickens, and fish, it's just dinner. It's just breakfast. People don't care. They don't make the same connection. They think those animals are bred for this purpose, so it's okay to torture them and kill them. And there's just a long list of excuses. But for me, I realized, well, okay, I'm not going to participate in this anymore. I strive to be a good, kind, compassionate, and most importantly, non-violent person. Never violent in my day-to-day. -day. Almost nobody is. But in this particular instance... Three times a day, I was paying for horrific violence, throat slitting, animals getting raped, um, their babies being stolen from them, just basically funding a holocaust, a mass slaughter of innocent beings. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to pay for that if I didn't have to. I didn't want to support that with my dollars or condone that in my actions. And so I stayed vegetarian for ethical reasons, but soon later I realized, well, it's actually not ethical to be a vegetarian either. You're still contributing to the suffering and death in the dairy and egg industry, which is at least as cruel as the meat industry. And I was still wearing leather and visiting places like SeaWorld and all this. And I just went, you know what? None of this is okay. Veganism always seemed crazy, but this is actually making a lot of sense all of a sudden. You know, since when was it extreme to not want to cause suffering to animals? Since when was it normal to be so violent towards pigs and cows and chickens and fish? You know, why is this okay? I need to be vegan um, because that is what is in, in alignment with my core values. And um, basically treating others the way you want to be treated. Veganism is just the least we should do, just not causing unnecessary harm as far as practically possible. So that's what I strived for. And, um, you know, after about a year of being vegetarian and planning my first action to um, hopefully inspire people to take animal rights seriously and to hopefully adopt a vegan lifestyle, and the action was to take a year-long vow of silence to raise awareness for animals. So during that year, I studied, and then January 1st, 2014, I began my vow of silence, and I also said from this day on, I vow to never knowingly consume another animal product again. And I'll be vegan from this day. And that vow was, I took very seriously. And still to this day, over six and a half years, or about six and a half years later, I've stayed true to that. And that's pretty much it. Wow. I, I mean, there's so much to unpack there and so many questions that I obviously want to dive deeper in. I want to rewind back a little and talk about your vow of silence first, because I think that's something really, really unique to you that I want to highlight. Sure. Well, I guess I'll just start with the lead up. So for the year leading to that, the beginning of that action, 
I was told by many people this was a bad idea not to do this. Um, you know, it could be bad for my mental health. And it was very hard to find information on other people doing year-long vows of silence because I guess, you know, not many people do that. And the Buddhist monks who do do it generally don't write blogs about it, I suppose. So I couldn't really find anything. But um, I just felt like the, the idea behind it was that it was something unique and interesting and hopefully interesting enough to them the, a general audience, a mainstream audience, that they would follow my journey. And my goal was to write a blog nearly every single day, put up photos, travel around Australia to keep it interesting for people as well. And if one person ate one less steak because of my year, then I would have been happy. Uh, so I communicated by using body language, writing things down. I filled many books and I would talk with my mouth, but without the word so I, people would lit read me um yeah just whatever as long as i wasn't using my voice basically the idea was that animals are voiceless so i'll be voiceless you know um although i i don't actually agree with that anymore that they're voiceless they have languages they communicate very intelligently anyway but that's what i thought at the time and that's how i connected it when i started my vow of silence uh, i started traveling around australia and um writing my blog and giving people cards with my information on it, giving out DVDs, that kind of thing, basically. Um, there was a lot of challenges, obviously, you know, especially when at, at one point I was starting to go into factory farms so I could see things for myself, if they were really as bad as I'd seen on the documentaries. And, um, you know, we would do that at night kind of thing. Just, you know, you can't just sort of ask, hey, can we come see your farm? Because no, no factory farm operator is going to want the general public in their place same with a slaughterhouse it's basically impossible in the western world to get inside a slaughterhouse and just see how your food is being prepared um and so you know there was definitely times where it was slightly dangerous and there was many times where it was very challenging but the great thing is that everybody wanted to know why are you voiceless why aren't you speaking and that gave me an opportunity to explain one way or another i've taken a vow of silence to raise awareness for animals do you know what happens inside slaughterhouses, the standard legal practice? Did you know that we can thrive on a plant-based diet? Have you ever considered that this should be a moral standard for our society? Why are we paying for so much violence towards innocent beings when we don't have to? Are you aware of the negative health impacts? Are you aware of the environmental destruction caused by animal agriculture, et cetera, et cetera? And um, yeah, I also cycled across Australia from, um, well, from Darwin to Sydney, about 5,000 kilometers because my van broke down, so I wanted to show people you could do something, you know, a fairly impressive athletic feat on a plant-based diet. And when I finished my vow of silence, by this point, you know, after a year of doing it, I'd become pretty comfortable in it. Although it had been, it also become increasingly frustrating in a way. You know, by about the three-month mark, I was like, okay, wow, this is going to be a long year. And by the six-month mark, I was just kind of looking forward to the end of it. The novelty had well and truly worn off. And, um, you know, I was very, very lucky. The best thing that happened was that the most popular morning TV show in Australia reached out to me and asked if I'd like to break my vow of silence on their TV show. So that is what I did. I spoke for the first time on live TV uh, in, and, you know, I got them to ask me why I did this. And I responded, you know, I can tell you exactly what I said. My first words were, thank you for asking. The reason I took this vow of silence is to raise awareness for the voiceless victims of this planet, the animals. 
We all say we love animals and we're against animal cruelty, yet we pay people to mutilate and torture and slaughter them. And it's not for any necessity. It's not because we need to for our health, but it's because we like the way they taste. So I went voiceless because they're voiceless, I thought. But then I realized they're not actually voiceless. They cry in pain. They scream in terror. When they do that, they're telling us that they're suffering. But the problem is we're not listening because they're covered in feathers, scales, wings, or fur. They're a different species, so we don't take their suffering seriously. I also did this to raise awareness for the way I've been living my life. I'm vegan, which means I don't consume any animal products. I don't support any animal exploitation. I wanted to show people through my journey how easy that is, how healthy that is, how delicious the food is, and that if you agree that causing unnecessary harm to animals is wrong, that it's the right way for you to live too. And that interview was seen by well over 10 million people, maybe double that. And, um, you know, it's still clocking up views to this day. People are commenting on it every single day on my YouTube channel. You know, like that was a really weird experience to speak for the first time after a year on TV. And it was also the first time I'd spoken verbally about veganism as a vegan because I went vegan the day I took my vow of silence. So I thought I had what I wanted to say in my head, but I was just like, shit, I hope I've got this. You know, I felt like a lot was riding on it. My year of silence had kind of led to this point. And um, I really wanted to do the animal rights movement justice, basically. And um, yeah, I was very happy with the outcome. And it ironically led to people wanting to hear my voice more and inviting me to do speeches. And I started giving speeches all over the world about my journey and what I'd learned. And yeah, that's what I've been doing ever since. Wow, that's so incredibly powerful. And I also have seen that morning show clip yeah, millions of views, so wild. And I have one question that I always just like selfishly wondered when I was watching that clip. Did you talk to like friends and family? Like if you were like with your family, would you talk to them? Or was this like purely? Not at all. I didn't speak to anybody for that year. Um, I accidentally said about five words over the year that just fell out of my mouth or like one time I was listening to music with earphones in and I was just mouthing the lyrics. But then I think, oh shit, was I just speaking then? And another time I woke up to myself sleep talking. I was like, oh shit, I looked around, is someone in here? And then oh, that's I realized, oh, that was me talking. Oh, um, and another time I fell asleep in an airport and I woke up to... The, this woman being like, James, James, you're about to miss your plane. And I woke up and I said, oh, thanks, sorry, something like that. And then I went, oh, shit, I wasn't meant to talk then. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, what do you do? Like, it, I did my best. I donated to um, a charity each time that I slipped up, and I felt like five was pretty good for a whole year. But um, in terms of deliberately, never, never once did I speak. I almost did once when I was in Bali. I was in Indonesia I'm um, getting my arms covered in animal rights tattoos. And there was this monkey in a cage at this place that I was visiting. And, you know, I found it really challenging to, with the vow of silence and not being able to communicate with words and also with the language barrier, to try to just tell the, the people who had imprisoned this monkey how wrong it was. And it's like, you know, like, it doesn't have to be like this, man. But you don't need to do this. We can find better ways for you to make money like let's talk about it but it was so hard and anyway there was moments like that where my voice would have come in handy obviously but um 
overall. I thought it was important to stick to the plan and speak for the first time because it was a slippery slope. If I started just talking a little bit to this person or to that person, you know, it just wasn't the same anymore and I just wouldn't have felt the same about it. And yeah, I just had to do it right, basically. That's so incredible. Before we dive into everything else, I think there are two definitions that I want you to give everyone because I think it'll be a good preface to everything that we're talking about. One being the difference between plant-based and vegan because this is a question I get asked so many times a day, whether it's Mm -hmm. on my Facebook group or in DMs, wherever it is, there's a lot of confusion around that. Okay. I'd love to clear that up. So, there's a very big difference between being vegan and being on a plant-based diet and that is exactly what it is right there. A plant-based diet is a diet. You eat plants only. Um, Actually, some people are on a plant-based diet by definition, although still do include a little bit of animal products here and there. And, you know, there's a certain different definition going where a plant-based diet can include animal products, which is ridiculous because it's not plants. So, I don't know why you would include that in a plant diet. But um, I prefer the term plant-only diet. And um, a plant being on a plant-based diet, you can be doing it for a number of different reasons. You might not like the taste of meat. You might want to be doing it for your health. You might be doing it for environmental reasons. There's lots of reasons. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are vegan just because you're on a plant-based diet. You might still wear leather. You might, you know, whatever. Still go to circuses that are exploiting animals. There's lots of different things. A vegan is someone who is on a plant-based diet by default because a vegan is someone who strives to cause the least amount of harm as practically possible and the most harmful foods by far are animal foods meat dairy eggs and a vegan is someone who is taking a stance against the exploitation of animals so to be vegan you eat a plant-based diet you don't use products that have been tested on animals or contain animal products you don't wear animal skins or furs or anything like that and you don't support animal slavery for work or for entertainment or for anything like that um so it's it's a much more full definition and it's also about the animals it's about taking a stance against the enslavement and killing of of other beings um so that's the difference between a vegan and somebody who is plant-based so it is a very big difference and um being on a plant-based diet is a, a phenomenal start and you know once you aren't consuming the products of torture and death i find you know from my own personal experience and experience with many other people that you start to find it a lot easier to make the ethical connection because while you're still consuming those products it's almost like you're too you're too in it you're too you're too disconnected. You're too. Uh, you're building your body from the death, you know. And um, there's a really good Buddhist quote, actually. It is the consumption of animal products extinguishes the seed of great compassion. So yeah, when you're on a plant-based diet, uh, or you, even if you're just stopping eating meat for a while or whatever, I think the more kind of steps you take in that direction, the easier it becomes to connect with the reality of what they go through and that you are voting with your dollar whether you want it to continue or to end so yeah that's the difference between 
veganism and a plant-based diet. Yes, thank you for that great explanation. And the second thing is, can you give a definition of speciesism? Yeah, I'd love to. Speciesism is akin to racism and sexism, basically. So to use those examples, white people believe they were superior to black people because they look different, different color skin. And men believe they were superior to women. And um, what we realize now in our society, or at least most people realize in our typical culture, you know, the Western culture, although some are still even further behind. Um, basically, we realize just because you're a different color, a different race, or even a different sex doesn't mean that your life is less valuable because of that particular characteristic. That is absolutely insane criteria to judge the value of someone's life and similarly with speciesism we are doing the same thing based on species these animals these other species these other animals because we are animals too are also intelligent feeling emotional thinking beings with families with friends with their own communities their own communication memories thoughts about the future excitement, joy, sadness, pain, everything. And we don't grant them the rights they deserve because they're a different species. So again, it's an arbitrary characteristic to value someone's life on. We think humans, we're at the top. Everyone else is below us. And then if you start questioning, why is that? Why are we the best, you know? Now, we are the best at some things, you know, we can create an orchestra, a symphony, and we can build and our language is so complex that it gives us the ability to pass information on at such a high level, which is how we've been able to evolve to this point. But do we feel pain any more than them? Do we value our lives any more than they do? Not necessarily. And many times, there are many examples of other animals being more intelligent than certain humans. Babies aren't very intelligent and certain severely disabled people, mentally handicapped, mentally challenged people aren't necessarily as intelligent as uh, a cow, for example. Does that mean that it's okay to slaughter these people? Of course not. No, we, we still respect their life. In fact, the more vulnerable the individual, the greater the crime. It's more sickening to hurt someone who's so vulnerable. And um, it doesn't mean that we give animals every right that we've got, like the right to vote and drive a car. But what they should have the right to is to not be owned and be the property of somebody else. You know, they're not our property. They're not our slaves. We don't have the right to take their life against their will. We shouldn't have that right. That shouldn't be legal. And it shouldn't be something that we think is okay in our society the reason why we do is because we view animals as so inferior that most people are willing to take their life just because they enjoy the taste of their bodies for five or ten minutes that's how inferior we believe animals are to us and that is speciesism it is the most prevalent ideology currently in our society the most prevalent form of discrimination almost everybody is speciesist even even you know i'm speciesist to a point like if i see someone hunting a dog i'll probably go over there and really do whatever i can to stop them when i see people hunting fish fishing you know i see my own speciesism at play where sometimes i have said things to people fishing but you know sometimes i just you know shake my head and look the other way and 
you know, like we're all species to a point, I suppose, um, and, you know, something to work through and be aware of for all of us. The way that people are species currently is we're funding something so horrific um, and it's just, it's just misguided. Most people wouldn't do it if they really understood who they were hurting and the value of these individuals and the complexity of their consciousness and awareness. But um, the general narrative is very strong in our culture. Fish don't feel pain. Animals are stupid. Chickens are dumb. Cows don't care if their babies are taken from them, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, who knows where all this started? I've read that one of the worst things that ever happened to animals was the chapter in the Bible about man having dominion over animals and that being misinterpreted to mean we can dominate them, we can own them, instead of it being we are custodians of this planet, we are the most powerful species and therefore we should do what we can to take care of everyone else, which is what I'm sure if Jesus was legit that he would have wanted, he would have condoned, you know, there's no way that Jesus would be a supporter of slaughterhouses when they're unnecessary. He would have been a big supporter of sanctuaries. I'm certain he would have been vegan if the option was available, just like all of us. If Jesus wouldn't have even been vegan and vegans have a better moral code when it comes to animals, then I don't understand why people would take moral advice from this person when it comes to, at least when it comes to treatment of animals. I want to take a quick break to talk about gut health. If you didn't know, 70% of our immunity stems from our gut. So if your gut microbiome is unbalanced, you can experience a lot of problematic symptoms like leaky gut, unwanted bloating, candida, anxiety, nausea, skin problems like acne, irregular bowel movements, the list goes on. So it's really important to remember that your diet should be made up of high fiber, nutrient dense plant foods, that you're drinking a ton of water, getting exercise, and making sure you're eating a wide variety of plant foods. However, in addition to a healthy diet, you need to be sure that you're taking a probiotic. Obviously, if you're vegan, taking a B12 is essential, but in my humble opinion, a probiotic should come next. For the past year, I've been taking the Silver Fern probiotic supplement, and it's honestly been life-changing for me. My digestion is on track, it's decreased my bloating, my system is super regular, and I'm really excited because I have partnered with Silver Fern on Instagram before and on my blog, and now they are sponsoring the Healthy Girl podcast. And they're actually guests on the podcast as well. I'm really excited for you guys to hear the episode with them. But basically, I'm obsessed with their products. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I'm always posting about the Silver Fern products on my story, that I'm taking the probiotic, I'm using all of their products, and the probiotic is just something I'm really passionate about because it really has made such a huge difference. I've tried so many different probiotics. You know, as a, an influencer, as a blogger, I get sent a lot of different products to try. So I've tried a lot of the probiotics that are on the market and a lot of them just don't seem to do anything and nothing compares to the Silver Fern one. They're third-party tested to ensure survivability, so you don't need to put them in the fridge. It contains five potent strains. Their probiotics increase immunity, digestion, your metabolism, and just improve your overall gut health. I also used to get a lot of like hormonal breakouts on my neck and chin area around my period. And since taking the Silver Firm probiotics, I don't get that anymore. So that's also a huge win. 
Anyway, you can take one of their probiotics with each of your meals and it works best when taken with fiber. So anytime you eat, you can take it once, you can take it up to three times a day super simple. Also just a note for my vegan friends or those of you who get bloated easily from beans or from your plant-based meals, this probiotic helps so much with bloating. And if you have trouble digesting certain foods, you can also order their digestive enzyme, which I'll talk more about in another episode, but you can take their digestive enzyme, their probiotic. They're a little bit pricier than other probiotics out there, but that's because they source the highest quality ingredients. But good news, I have a discount code for you. So if you use code HEALTHYGIRL, you will get 20% off your order. So just use HEALTHYGIRL at checkout to get that discount. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-G-I-R-L, HEALTHYGIRL at checkout. So let's get back into the episode. In addition to that, you have the speciesism. You have, you know, humans thinking that they're better than animals. And then within the animal kingdom, you have these groups, these certain kinds of animals that were targeted, as you said, for no apparent reason, the chickens, the cows, the pigs, and the fish, and we somehow give higher moral value to certain animals and other ones, like we have our dogs at home, our cats at home, Mm -hmm. you know, people have horses as pets. So can you speak on that as well? Moral hypocrisy at its finest. Someone hears about, or, or our culture, you know, we hear about the Yulin Dog Meat Festival, everybody's outraged while they're sitting there eating a burger made from the murder of a cow. What's the difference? None. In fact, pigs are more intelligent than dogs, so you can't even use that excuse. People say, well, you know, dogs are meant to be pets. It's like someone else's value is not determined by how much you enjoy having them in your home with you. And, and think about how much people love dogs. People's dogs are their family. You know, they love dogs so much. They do anything from them. They spend thousands of dollars on them. They bring them so much joy. This is how connected we can be to animals. And so we, we give so much consideration to dogs and dolphins and whales, you know, or at least more. And if we hear about someone kicking a cat or some sort of really unnecessary type of animal cruelty, everyone's so mad. What a monster. Who is this person? Lock them up. And then we cause way more torture and suffering and pain to the general meat eater eats 100 to 200 if not more animals per year so we're talking about killing a a new animal every couple of days or so basically that's what the standard person is up to and we get so upset when we hear about someone kicking a dog or doing something like that it just doesn't make any sense Um, And that's why I'm so hopeful for people. That's why I'm so optimistic and patient with people because I know people will get it. I know it makes sense. I know that the way they're living is so out of alignment with where they're at and so illogical. And when people try to justify it, I just think you've clearly not thought about this and that's fine, but people try to justify it with such confidence. And I just think, where does this confidence come from? It comes from the myths that we've been taught, the lies we've been taught that fish don't feel pain and we need meat for protein and all this kind of thing. And it's just fascinating, actually, how indoctrinated we are into this. It's like a death cult, in my opinion. You know, this cult of death where we all just are constantly killing and paying for throat slitting and consuming the corpses of these tortured beings. And yeah, it is just totally insane. So I think that helping people realize, hey, how would you feel if this was happening to dogs? What if it was dogs in these slaughterhouses? You know, would you join us then? Would you think vegans are crazy then? You get so upset about it. What if um, 
you know, would you send your dog to a slaughterhouse to be put down, to be euthanized? Of course not. You know, what do you think happens in these places? It's not okay. It's not nice at all. And um, this is, you know, it's one way of helping people connect. Why love some and eat others? Why be opposed to cruelty to this animal and not this one? And these questions, they make you realize that you don't have a consistent moral standard. And ideally, people care about that enough that they're willing to change. But they might not. And that's why it's great that on top of this moral necessity, this moral obligation that we have, just based on our own moral code, on top of that, we have massive, massive health benefits from living this way and massive, massive environmental benefits from living this way too. It's almost like nature is just sort of saying, hey, what you're doing is crazy and you're basically walking yourselves off a cliff. And if you can peel off that path and walk the vegan path, everyone wins. Everyone wins. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to miss out on your favorite meals. We even have vegan meat, cheese, vegan ice cream, you name it. So literally all you got to do is switch the food you buy at the supermarket. You go to the same supermarket. You choose a vegan alternative. If you're in a place where you don't have many vegan meat options available, there's still other things you can do. You can make um, burger patties out of beans. You can make amazing meaty foods out of firm tofu and um, textured vegetable protein. There's all kinds of little hacks that vegans have learned. Make seitan out of wheat gluten, which is a chewy, meaty, delicious meal. There's so much stuff. So literally, there's no reason not to do it. There's countless reasons to do it. Veganism is an evolution of our morals and evolution of our health, of the way we view other beings. And basically, the entire world will thrive when we all adapt this. So it's exciting. And, and because it's so logical, and people are doing something so wrong, I really feel like this is where the direction that we'll all continue moving, as we've seen, has already been such a big shift, even in the last five years. Yeah, for sure. And as you were saying, I mean, this is something that has become such a cultural norm. And when your eyes are open to what's happening to these animals behind the walls of the slaughterhouses, your perspective changes in an instant. And you know, everything's wrapped up in neat packages in the supermarket. We have these euphemisms, you know, we have burgers and hot dogs and bacon that everyone's so obsessed with and sausages. And we've somehow disguised these beautiful animals into food that we consume every day. And people, my friends, even my family will make comments to me about the food on my plate when they're over there eating a dead animal. And, um, they'll be like, oh, hey, like, do you miss this? And I'm like, I I genuinely really don't. I do not miss anything about that. <laughs> and um, Hell no. yeah, I, I mean, I, I could never imagine eating an animal again. Right. I want to talk about what goes on behind closed doors because you're an activist. You see this every day. I mean, you, you are there. You record the footage. You've seen all the footage. So to someone who doesn't know what happens, mm-hmm behind the closed doors can we start with the pigs because i want to get really micro and talk about each scenario and and each kind of mainstream meat and product that people buy so yeah let's start with pigs and and what goes on there well first what i recommend people do because i can say it and my words will point to it but it's better for you to see it with your own eyes and there's a documentary called dominion which you can go to watchdominion.com watch it for free there And it is showing Australian 
slaughterhouses and factory farms, which we're supposed to have some of the best standards in the world. What happens in Australia is the same as what happens in the US, the same as what happens in the UK, in Canada, in other parts of Europe. Uh, and the standard legal practice of what happens in these places is, you know, it's just so bad. Um, and to even watch it, like I'm saying my words will only point to it, even watching it only points to it. When you watch it, you got to imagine that that was you in there or one of your family members. And that, that makes it a little easier for you to connect with how truly cruel and barbaric and immoral it is. But um, yeah, I'll tell you what happens in words as well. So a lot of people use excuses like, well, I don't buy my meat from that place. And, you know, I go to a local organic blah, 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 whatever. So although there are many different types of abuse that happens to these animals along the way, you know, for example, pigs get their teeth cut out, they get their tails cut off and they're castrated without anesthetics. They have their testicles ripped out of their body. It's really a graphic process while they're fully conscious and aware and under no pain relief. They scream, they cry, they're little babies. Some of, many of them die from these processes alone that just um, get some sort of infection and don't make it. And these are just because the environments that they live in are so crowded that if they did have teeth and tails, they would be constantly hurting each other even more than they already do. But at the end of the day, and the end of the day is a very short amount of time for them. I believe it's about six months pigs actually wish i could check that out right now for sure because sometimes i get that wrong but um i believe they're six months old when they're slaughtered they're they're basically children they live in a way that you know first of all let's say this as well well over 95 percent of animal products come from factory farms anything you buy from the supermarket anything you buy at a restaurant that's where it's coming from and these places are concentrated operations where the animals have barely any space to move when it comes to pigs, when they're giving birth, these mothers for months are in crates so small that all they can do is stand up and lie back down. They can't even turn around, not even halfway. That's where they're stuck for months. And they go absolutely crazy in there, as you can imagine. They're one of the most intelligent animals on the planet, and they're stuck in this tiny cage. They often will squash their babies to death. You know, I've been in factory farms where I've been there as babies were getting squashed to death and trampled on and you know on these on these cold metal grating floors and it's just ugly and it's just done as cheap as possible basically there's really no care or next to no care for the welfare of animals it's all about profit how do we make more money how do we do this faster how do we speed this process up 80 percent of the world's antibiotics in fact are fed to animals so that they don't get sick in these places which on topic leads to more antibiotic resistant strains of the bacteria and the viruses that can cause way more damage than what we're seeing right now with this whole COVID pandemic. There's a lot worse floating around in these places. And we've already had experiences of this before with swine flu and um, the bird flu and a whole bunch of them. Anyway, what I want to make a point of though, is that regardless of the many different types of abuses that happens to these animals, someone might say to you, well, not on this farm. It's like, okay, so maybe those things don't happen on that farm. Okay. So where do they end up? They all end up getting slaughtered. Whether it's at a slaughterhouse or in someone's backyard, they all end up getting killed against their will. 
murdered. That's what murder is, when you kill someone against their will. And that is what we do to these animals. You won't find the dictionary definition to be murder. For them, we call it slaughter, another euphemism. But it is the same action, and that's what we should focus on, that we are robbing them of their lives. We're taking away their most precious gift. And it doesn't matter if they lived a good life first. It doesn't matter if my brother lives a good life for his whole life, but then one day I murder him in his sleep and he doesn't feel a thing. It's still murder. It's not humane murder. It's murder. Humane murder is not a thing when it comes to humans. You can't humanely murder someone. You can't humanely rape someone. You can't humanely abuse a child. Even if you take them to Disneyland first, even if you wine and dine a woman first, it's still not humane, no matter how they're treated. Because at the end of the day, the act of taking someone's life against their will unnecessarily is murder. That's what we do every single time. Every single one of these animals, organic, free-range, grass-fed, they all end up at the same slaughterhouse or getting slaughtered in someone's backyard. It really makes no difference. And it doesn't matter if they don't feel it or see it coming because the action of ending their life is wrong. You wouldn't want it done to you. You shouldn't want it done to someone else. One of the worst types of cruelty that you could do to somebody. When it comes to pigs, how they're stunned there's numerous different ways. They will either have, it's a tool basically, that looks kind of like scissors, but instead of sharp edges, on either side there is this um, pad that one is put on their brain, or at least on the head, on the outside of the head of the pig, and the other is on the heart initially, and then it moves to the head as well. And what this does is send a strong electric current through their body that electrocutes them. It doesn't kill them. They want the heart still beating so that when they stab them in the throat, which is the next part of the process, that the blood pours out, it's pumped out, it makes things much easier. Many of them are still conscious through this and feel this. I've seen it with my own eyes. The production line is quick. Let's get this done quick. Don't stop the line. Don't stop the line. There are many slaughterhouses where workers wear nappies because they can't even stop to go to the toilet. So when an animal isn't rendered unconscious or stunned effectively, they just continue on. Many animals are then stabbed in the throat while they're aware and conscious, and then they're put into the boiling hot water so that it loosens their skin and easier to remove their skin. That's the next part of the process, and that's where they drown to death. Boiling hot water after being electrocuted and stabbed in the throat. It's very common, way too common, that animals are still conscious even at that part of the process. Even if they weren't, though, that's, that's how some of them are stunned and killed. Others are put into a gas chamber. And another point of topic is that the Nazis, they got the plans for the death camps from slaughterhouses. You know, there's a really good quote. The Holocaust victims were treated like animals. And so it follows that animals are treated like Holocaust victims. And that's exactly what happens. They're literally put into a gas chamber, the exact same type of gas chamber. And in this gas chamber, the carbon dioxide burns them from the inside out. So it's like their insides are on fire, their eyeballs are on fire, their inside is burning. And you can see footage of it. They thrash around, they scream, there's terror in their eyes, they're banging their head against the cage that they're stuck in. And there's nowhere for them to go. And slowly, the life force of them is taken. And you can see them starting to, to lose their grip of consciousness and life and you know they're stunned like that again that's not a killing method and then again they're shackled upside down and they're stabbed in the throat then all the blood rushes out that's pigs 
you know, they're also raped. The pigs are forced to have pregnancies. The, these amount of animals that we have here currently isn't natural. It's forced. It's artificial insemination. So they'll be put into a cage and a human will put a instrument, you know, some type of tool kind of thing into the pig's vaginas and then squirt semen into them that they've stolen from a bull, which they electrocuted to get them to ejaculate. This is all bestiality, by the way. If this was happening to dogs, people would go to jail. It happens to pigs and cows, so people are like, yum, breakfast. You know, it's so insane. And that's what people are paying for. So by buying these products, you are paying for bestiality. It happens because of you, among countless other different forms of disgusting cruelty. That's basically what happens to pigs. Chickens, for example, obviously are killed for their meat. They are, their bodies are growing at such a fast rate that their legs can't even handle it. They have all kinds of different bone problems and stress fractures and all kinds of things from their bodies growing way faster than their legs, just how they've been genetically modified over the years and manipulated. And they are killed at, I believe, about six weeks. So they're little babies still, although their bodies are huge. They are shackled upside down. They are put into a pool of water that's electrified, that stuns them, and then while upside down, they go down the line and then someone will slit their throats. Slit, 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 and that's how they die generally. There are other ways, but that's very common. For the chickens in the egg industry, first of all, the male chicks that are useless because they're not producing any eggs, they're seen as a waste product. The males and the females are separated shortly after birth. Within one to three days, the males are falling off a conveyor belt and dropping into a machine called a macerator. The macerator shreds these babies up into pieces, a thousand pieces in a second. Or the baby male chicks are put into a large bag and suffocated to death. These are the standard legal ways that the babies, three-day-old, those little yellow chicks are killed. And we call it humane. And humane means to show compassion. How do you compassionately drop a baby bird into a machine of a dozen blades spinning so fast like a blender. How the fuck is that humane? And then on top of that, the birds that are being used for the eggs, the mothers, they are either kept in one small cage with six other birds or so, or they're in one huge cage with 10 or 20,000 other birds. Free range, that's called. Free range means absolutely nothing for these animals, nothing of value anyway. It just means that they're in a different cage with all different types of cruelty that happen when there's so many of them in one position. They have this equivalent space of an A4 piece of paper, and that's all they need to do things legally, these um, facilities. They are filthy, disgusting places. And then these birds go through the same fate as the other chickens. They are killed when they start producing less eggs, basically. The cows in the meat industry, they have their horns cut off, which is very painful. You can see footage of that, how much it hurts them. They're branded with a hot iron, which burns their skin, obviously. And when they're killed, it is a similar process, although they might be bolt gunned in their head. They'll have a bolt put to their skull. It fires a bolt through their skull into their brain. This stuns them, and then they're hoisted upside down, and they get their throats cut open as well, chopped up into pieces. In the dairy industry... The mothers don't just give milk naturally like the industry would want you to believe. They are mammals just like humans and just like humans, they need to be pregnant or have recently given birth. In the dairy industry, 
to have this happen, they will put them into a cage, commonly known as a rape rack. They'll first of all shove their arm inside the cow's anus and then inject the vagina with bull semen. They put their arm inside the anus to maneuver the cervix. Then nine months later, the cows give birth. They give birth and the babies are taken from her straight away. The baby boys are sent to the slaughterhouse because they're a waste product in the dairy industry. They are bull gunned in the head and then shackled upside down and have their throats cut open. The mothers have life of being a milk slave, basically. They are used for their milk every single day. They're milked. They have the process repeated every single year of being raped and having their babies taken from them so that the milk production continues. And then after five to seven years of being so severely used and abused, they start producing much less milk and becoming less profitable for the industry. And then they get slaughtered too. That's that's their reward for all the work and the hell that they've gone through. In fact, the worst thing I've ever seen actually was a spent cow, they call it, when they just can't even go on anymore. And what this particular farm decided to do just before they slaughtered her they decided to practice artificial insemination on her and they did the process the rape over and over and over again as practice for someone new and then they sent her to the slaughterhouse where she was slaughtered this is all for milk for i mean we have soy milk rice milk almond milk coconut milk hazelnut milk hemp milk you know, we have so many better milk options that don't involve this. You can make oat milk by blending a cup of oats and four cups of water together and straining it. It's milky. It's delicious. You don't need to rape and slaughter for milk. And you don't need calcium for milk either. Calcium is found abundantly in plant foods. In fact, the places in the world that consume the most dairy have the highest rates of osteoporosis and other bone diseases. That's the dairy industry, you know, and they're the main things. They're the main things. People are consuming those products every single day and they're the main things that people need to cut out. But also things like honey, that they cut the wings off the bees. They steal the food that the bees are making. That's what honey is. And, you know, we shouldn't be stealing from animals that are just trying to get by. We replace the honey with something sugary that makes them sick and doesn't make them thrive. It's a whole idea. Just because they're bees doesn't mean that, oh, they're just little small insects. Like, yeah. And we can have maple syrup. So why are we messing with what they do and hurting them in the process and having this idea of superiority? It's just unnecessary. You know, and then obviously leather. Um, animals killed for leather are killed specifically for leather. They're not byproduct. Leather is not a byproduct, uh, or almost never. It is generally specific animals, often from India, killed specifically for the purpose of their skin. Animals are tested on constantly for cosmetics, for... Um, different medications for, you know, shampoo, all kinds of things. And they have all kinds of different tests that are, you know, animal testing is something that doesn't get talked about anywhere near enough. The things they do to them are just torture. It's just torture until they die and they just do it over and over and over. And it's just so sad, mate, and so cruel and wrong. And most people will agree with that, even if they're not vegan. They'll see animal testing and they'll think, wow, now this is cruelty on another level. What they don't realize is that what they're paying for when they buy bacon or meat or milk is just as cruel and just as unnecessary. And, you know, to ride horses, they have to break the horse's spirits. They dominate them to, until they submit. You know, I could go on and on and on. There are just so many forms of animal exploitation out there. But I think the best thing for people to focus on initially is food because... 
you don't often go to the circus, you don't often probably ride a horse, but you do eat animal products every single meal, most people. Even once every three months is too much though. A little bit of child abuse once every three months, even though you used to maybe abuse children every day, cool, it's better, but it's still not okay. And even if you eat meat just once every three months, just at Christmas, a little bit of animal abuse is still not okay and you still don't have the right to do that, nor, nor should you want to do that. Any normal, compassionate, you know, respectful person, you just shouldn't do something like that to someone when you would be so against it happening to you or someone you love. It's just not um, how we operate in our society, how we've agreed upon um, to do things. But yeah, I could go on and on about the different forms of cruelty, but I think that's basically, you know, the standard stuff. Yeah, I think those were really thorough explanations. And unfortunately, I think after even people hearing that and maybe have even seen some of these documentaries and the, and the footage of what goes on, there are still arguments and things that people want to bring up and excuses that people have. And even though I'm vegan, I really want to get into those two. Um, the number one being... Um, that were meant to eat meat or that were naturally carnivores? I mean, there's a few different things, you know. Put a, there's a good one, put a baby in a crib with a rabbit and an apple, you know. Which one is the baby going to want to play with and going to want to eat kind of thing? Do we get hungry when we watch footage of slaughtered animals? You know, when we watch footage of what happens in slaughterhouses, do we get hungry or does it get a graphic content warning on Facebook? That's what happens. We don't look at that and salivate. We look at that and think, oh my God, that is horrific. That is disgusting. Don't ever share that on my page again. I don't want to see that kind of shit. I, I want to pay for it and eat it, but I don't want to see it. We don't look at roadkill and get hungry. We don't look at a sick, injured animal and think, ooh, easy prey. Not at all. We see that animal and think, oh my God, how do I help? How do I help this poor, poor little bird? What can I do? Let's go to the vet. Even if it was natural for humans to eat animals which it isn't we don't have claws we have what we call canines but compare them to any carnivorous animal and it's absolutely joke like try sinking them into a cow sometime we use knives we use forks we cook our meat and then we season it with a whole bunch of plants and put it on a bun made of plants in between a whole bunch of other plants you know and even if you do like the taste of something and it does have nutrients that we need just because you like the taste of something doesn't mean it's okay for you to go and kill someone. I like money. Doesn't mean I'm going to go kill someone and steal their wallet. I like the feeling of sex. Doesn't mean it's okay to go and rape someone. So just because you enjoy a flavor sensation, that doesn't mean that you are justified to then go and harm someone for that flavor or for the nutrients because you can get all the nutrients you need from a plant-based diet. And that's not just me saying that. That is the leading health authorities all around the world in the UK in Australia, the largest of all, which is the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in the USA, which is over 100,000 accredited professionals. The statement they've put out, which is based on a meta-analysis of the available studies, is that a vegan diet is not only healthy for all populations, young, old, children, adolescents, elderly, athletes, but you are likely to live longer, have less nutrient deficiencies, and reduce your likelihood of developing many diseases, including the most common killers. It's not natural to eat animals. And even if it was, you still aren't justified in doing it. And what would you say to the people who, you know, let's say that there's a family and the mom wants to go vegan and she doesn't want to, quote unquote, force her family to be vegan or she doesn't know how to 
get them mm-hmm. to transition, what would you say to well, them? Yeah, you can't force anyone to go vegan. Nobody can. I mean, I wish we could. I would force everybody to go vegan immediately if I could, but you can't. The best thing you can do is to lead by example, to try to inspire others to follow in your lead, to explain to them your choices, why you're making different choices as a vegan, a new vegan mum, to try to make your food delicious so that, you know, and you can easily because there's literally millions of phenomenal delicious satisfying yummy vegan meals out there at just a few clicks away help them understand you can't force them but it doesn't mean you have to cook meat for them anymore and you shouldn't you 100 should not do that um you should lead by example and show them actually no i take this very seriously to the point that even if you want meat i'm not going to buy it for you i'm not going to cook it for you if you want my cooking you want me to do the shopping this is what you'll eat now and guess what? It's vegan sausages. You probably wouldn't have even known the difference in the flavor and texture unless I told you that they were vegan. So relax. You're not even going to miss out on anything. Um, we're changing things around here. They were no longer buying those products anymore. And then being educated in your responses helps a lot. So just learning these common objections people have. Well, what about protein, mom? And what animals are put here for us to kill and blah, blah, blah. Just learn the objections. It doesn't take long. There's only about 10 common ones that people ask you and you'll figure out which ones they are soon enough. And then your responses will not only defend your choices, but they will start to influence other people to see the the logic behind it and the very compelling reasons to make this shift in their own life. And you'll start helping people too. And not just people, but animals as well, obviously. Yeah, I think leading by example is truly the number one thing you can do. And as you said, you can't force anyone, but you can show them in what you're doing, how amazing it can be. I know for me, I went vegan, um, I guess it's like over five years ago now. And um, at the time, my fiance Ari was paleo. And obviously, that's like a lot of meat, a lot of eggs. Mm -hmm. And um I remember saying to him, how about you just try going vegan for one day? Mm. I promise you it'll be so good. And he's like, I can't do it. One, he Like he, he couldn't even fathom. And then I talked to his mom and she agreed to try a plant-based diet. Amazing. And then he was like, oh, well, if my mom's trying it, maybe I should try it. So then he got on board. Mm-hmm. They both have been plant-based vegan ever since. Mm. Go mom and go Ari. <laughs> yeah, so it really is that ripple effect. And even if it's a couple people, then he inspires his friends. And now Ari's dad, who, oh my God, was like literally the biggest meat eater for the past few months. I mean, he's had maybe meat a couple times. Excellent. But now he's changed. Now my dad, who's also insanely stubborn, biggest meat eater, grew up on meat and potatoes like a serious New Yorker. He watched Game Changers and his whole his whole life was changed. And now and my mom and my dad were still working on my brother, but countless friends of mine, cousins. I mean, it really is you leading by example and just educating people. And, and as you said, educating yourself on answers to the most common questions. Yep. And on top of the obvious benefits of treating others the way they deserve to be treated and not paying for a holocaust anymore you by influencing your friends and family are adding years to their life possibly and sometimes probably decades to their life um quality decades not decades of of sickness and disease and stuck on all these medications and having to have all these operations and heart bypass and whatever all the things they do you are helping your family and friends so much by getting them to eat a plant-based diet it is 
just truly life-changing. Man, like what, what better gift, what more far-reaching choice can people make and what better thing to inspire someone to do, really? It's, you know, there's nothing like it. Yeah, it truly is so rewarding. I have a few more questions for you. One, uh, tips in restaurants. That's a question I get a lot. How do you make it work when you go out to eat? Oh, okay. Well, any restaurant I go to, I can make something vegan there. I've never been to one, I don't think, or very, very rarely where I'm like, you know what, there's pretty much nothing here unless I'm just going to eat a bowl of rice with soy sauce or just potatoes. But even that, sometimes I'm like, cool, today it's potatoes and I don't really care. I'd rather just eat a bowl of wedges without the sour cream and with the sweet chili sauce. If that's what I'm eating today, that's what I'm eating. Cool. I'm still not going to support the cruelty just because all I have option at this restaurant is wedges. Sometimes you got to go hungry. You know, if you, if you have to go hungry, like I've had to do that maybe once or twice in the six and a half years I've been vegan. There's always something. Now, not only is there always something, but generally there's something amazing. So any Mexican restaurant you go to, it's so easy. You just substitute the meat for beans and a lot of common places these days um common like mexican restaurant chains have even like a tofu dish or even vegan meats in there these days you know we've come so far lately so you get the vegan meats or you get the tofu or you get the beans on your burrito or on your nachos or whatever instead of sour cream get extra guac instead of cheese get vegan cheese if they're offering it or just don't have cheese it's much healthier without it anyway that is still going to be a absolutely delicious mouth-watering burrito, no doubt about it. You go to a Thai restaurant, instead of getting the dairy curries, get the coconut curries. Get the tofu instead of the meat, or instead of tofu, get the mushrooms. And that's kind of like a meaty texture as well. And many places also have vegan options. If you're going to pizza, get pizza. You can get a pizza without cheese and it's still going to be so yummy and you're going to feel a lot better after it. But also, like the most common pizza places in Australia, Domino's and Pizza Hut, both have vegan cheese, vegan meat. So, you know, it's that simple to call and get a vegan pizza ordered to your door these days where a few years ago that wasn't even a possibility. And I know a lot of other countries have this similar thing as well. So when I go there, I'm just like, hey, what's on the menu? If there's not something clear, then I'll be like, can I'm, I might make something out of the sides menu. I'll get this salad. I'll get those, like the, the potatoes here. I'll get um, this vegetable soup or a dal or something like that. Oh, Indian is another example. Indian is so easy. They already have so many like lentil dishes like dal, china masala, which is the chickpeas. There's so many yummy dishes, so many delicious curries and things like that that you can get easily made vegan so when you're going out to restaurants generally it's so much easier than most people would expect even at a steakhouse you can get something other things you can do if you want is call ahead go yo i'm a vegan i'm coming in is there something you guys can do for me figure out what they can do help them understand so this is what it means and these is like let's let's pick and choose something out of what we've got here and a lot of places are willing to accommodate you like that and then on top of that you can visit places that have vegan options deliberately um there's an app called happy cow where you can basically go into the app and it tells you all the places with vegan options that are restaurants in your surrounding area it tells you how far it is tells you the price that kind of thing or better yet go to all vegan restaurants um there's generally one around somewhere and support that because that is a type of restaurant business that the world needs way more of but i also think it's important to mix it up and show other places that aren't vegan that vegan options will do well here and that um, we want more of them. So show us more of them. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. And I think a main thing is just like learning to be an advocate for yourself and not having any shame and speaking up at a restaurant. Yeah. And it may take a couple more minutes to order. You know, if you're, if you're with a group of friends, you might not want to be annoying and ask questions. But I just call the waiter over and I explain. I'm like, I'm a vegan. That means yeah. this, that and the other. And can you please do this for me? And, you know, I might have to say, well, does that have butter in mm-hmm. it? Does that have cheese on it? Can you please take the cheese? Like it might might take a few more minutes, but once you do it a few times, you get used to it. So I really just suggest being an advocate for yourself. Yeah, it's not a big deal. They're used to it. You know, they're used to people going, hey, I'm allergic to this. I'm allergic to that. And for the people who are a little less confident being vegan, I know that some people feel a bit awkward about it, not wanting to inconvenience the waiter or something like that. You can say if you want, I think it's better advocacy to say that you're vegan, but if you want, you can say, I'm allergic to dairy, I'm allergic to eggs, you know, I'm allergic to meat. What do you got that's just made of plants? And unfortunately, sometimes they take that more seriously. When you say you have an allergy, suddenly they start to listen to you. Because I have had, uh, unfortunately, a few times where there have been animal products in my meal that I clearly specified to leave off. I recently was at a Mexican restaurant and I was eating my yummy vegetable fajitas and all of a sudden I start chewing on something that I just knew instantly was beef or or some kind of meat. Mm -hmm. And I spit it out and, you know, all my friends were angry for me and for me, my reaction was more, I I was really upset because I took the time to talk to the waitress about it. And I mean, at that point, there was nothing I could do except for talk to her and educate her that if someone tells them that they're vegan or they're they're plant-based, that that's as serious as having an allergy, that that's a moral choice that I was making to not consume that. And, you know, of course they responded with kindness and they were very apologetic. But um, but as we were saying, at this point, I prefer to eat at 100% vegan restaurants. We have a lot of great vegan restaurants down here. Obviously, a lot of people don't have that luxury and they have to, you know, whether they travel for work or they don't have a ton of options near them. But um, yes, at this point, it just takes some of the anxiety out for me um, when I can just eat at an all vegan place. Oh, that's the best when you can just look at the whole menu and be like, whoa, all right, all right, where do I start? Like this doesn't happen that often and it's exciting. But yeah, I think, you know, sometimes accidents happen. Sometimes an order gets made wrong or whatever. And, you know, my opinion is to do similar to what you said, just educate them and just be like, hey, this was a mistake and this is actually a big mistake. I know it's, it's all good. I mistakes happen i'm not hating on you here but i just want you to know that this is a big mistake and i hope you will strive to be more careful about this never happening again in the future and if you make that mistake as a vegan you know people say oh man i accidentally ate meat the other day what do i do it's like it's done you know just move on get over it like don't beat yourself up over it accidents happen there's absolutely no point in that and just in the future however that accident happened be more mindful and learn from this mistake so that, you know, something good can come out of it. Definitely. And I think that goes along with what I wanted to talk to you about just to kind of cap this off that vegan really isn't about being perfect, but about causing the least amount of harm. A lot of people have tried to test me in the past and they say, well, you know, do you still buy leather shoes? Do you have leather seats in your car? And they try to come up with all of these ways that you might be still like not vegan. And, you know, of course, I don't buy leather shoes anymore. I don't buy anything like that. My car does not have leather seats. Um, But I try to explain to them that it really is just about causing the least amount of harm and starting with your three meals a day and your snacks in between. No one is perfect ever. Vegans are not perfect. There is 
also blood on our hands, unfortunately. You know, the way that we get our crops and things like that, it isn't perfection. Vegan, veganism never claims perfection. We're doing the best that we can with the options we've got. We're, we're making the most conscious choices we can. And that's all anyone can ask of you. You can't be perfect. There is no perfect lifestyle. So we're doing the best we can. The difference, though, the difference between being a vegan and being on a standard diet is worlds, worlds apart in terms of impact and yet barely any different in terms of actions. You know, you go to the supermarket and the first time you go vegan, like you first go vegan, I mean, okay, you read the labels. Which bread can I have? Could this one doesn't have milk, this one doesn't have dairy. Okay, perfect. This is this can be my bread. Which pasta, which this, which that. Okay, you figure it out. It might take you a couple of weeks or whatever. But once it's done, it's done. You're not taking any extra time out of your day. You, you're not even necessarily going to a different aisle. You're going to go buy milk. You go to the milk section and you just move one meter over to get the plant-based milk. You know, it's worlds apart in terms of impact, but in terms of how you be a vegan, you go to the grocery shop, you buy food, you cook dinner, you go to a restaurant, you know, you buy a jacket, you're doing all the same stuff. You're just making a more conscious effort to choose the animal-free options, which are out there. And um, it's, it's really very simple. You just make a start. And if you slip up or whatever, cool, okay, learn from it, continue moving, continue moving forward. Don't be like, well, it was too hard, you know, so I'm not going to do it. Like, well, just do what you can do now. And continue striving to be a better vegan every day. And I'm still striving to do that. I'm still striving to be better. I'm using less plastic these days. And, um, you know, just overall trying to be a more kind human. And, yeah, it, it continues. Yes, for sure. And I kind of have a weird question that I forgot to ask you before when we were talking about dairy. This is a question I've gotten now in a number of times that seems like common sense, but people have asked me if breast milk, like human breast milk is vegan. And they ask me if I'm going to breastfeed my children because I'm vegan and that's milk. And I, can you just clarify mm -hmm. that for everyone? <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, you're a consenting mother. You're not enslaved, you know, in an industry and having your babies taken from you. You're a consenting mother that is doing the best thing to take care of your child. That's a very vegan thing to do. If you're in a different situation like the, the dairy cows and someone was stealing your milk, then hell no. But you nourishing your child, that is just the most natural, beautiful thing ever. And, um, of course, that's vegan. No one is being harmed in that process. No one is being exploited, abused, killed, anything like that. It's You're just giving food to your baby. So I can't imagine how anyone could see some sort of problem in that. Okay, so to end the podcast, I have a few questions that I like to ask all my guests, just as like fun, get to know you kind of questions. Cool. So number one, what would your last meal on earth be? Oh, it would be big. It would be um, a banana and mango smoothie bowl with dates chopped up in there and some sort of like delicious crunchy granola on top with some blueberries on top as well. Um, I'd have rice paper rolls with marinated tofu, like a satay marinade with avocado and kale and alfalfa sprouts and a bunch of other veggies. I'd probably have, uh, what else would I have, man? A pizza for sure, big pizza, maybe some vegan like KFC chicken kind of thing, something like that. Oh man, I'm getting excited. I'm so hungry actually, I haven't eaten yet. 
Uh, yeah, I should probably just stop there because I'm hungry. You know when you go shopping and you're hungry and you buy heaps more stuff? That's what I'm doing right now. That would be a good last meal for me. I'd be happy with that. That's so funny. Yeah, no, my last meal has like 10 courses, so I feel you. Yeah, it has to. It's got to be like an all-day event. Of course. And number <laughs> two, what's one thing you can't live without in your morning routine? Um, great question. Well, I mean, I have a few things in my morning routine. I try to drink a liter of water as soon as I wake up. I try to do at least a 10-minute meditation. I try to get my workout done first thing. Um, but I think what I really do that is just like never, I really never go a morning without is I wake up and then I check my comment sections just to see that there's no hell breaking loose. And also because I like waking up and seeing people being inspired to make changes, which is happening pretty much every day in my comment sections. So, yeah, I generally, that's that's what I do. I wake up and I check my social medias and just see what's going down and, and, you know, it gets me motivated to do more work in the day. And what is something quirky about you that people would be surprised to find out? I'm very, I can be very, very silly, um, which I don't think, because I'm so serious, I'm always talking about such a serious topic, but I, yeah, I'm a pretty silly person. Um, people who have been around me can attest to that. Same. I I'm a freak. I don't know how my fiance has not like broken up with me by now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a total weirdo, man. But anyway, I try to be pretty normal for everyone following my journey online and that. But yeah, it gets weird. <laughs> and if you had to pick one form of exercise to do for the rest of your life, what would it be? Snowboarding. Oh, that's fun. Oh yeah, that's why it's the funnest one. <laughs> But to be honest, to be honest, I mean, to be honest, I'd actually probably choose weightlifting because it would overall probably be better for the animals. And, um, you know, and you feel so good when you're strong. And snowboarding is a mission to get all your gear and get on the mountain and then there'd be snow and that. So, yeah, I really enjoy weightlifting. And I think it's really good to um, help break that weak, sickly stereotype of vegans. And um, weightlifting is one of the best way to do that. Yeah. And I mean, no one's going to be able to see you because this is audio. But um, yeah, James is so muscular. You definitely look like you work out a ton and you are most definitely not protein deficient. Indeed. Um, yeah, I've just started working out again and I'm amazed at how quickly my body is um, shaping and putting on muscle and that it's, it's easy and it's so much easier to stay lean as well. Yes, for sure. And number five, what's your favorite grocery store? Um, there's one near where I grew up called Flannery's and they've got all this organic food and they do organic uh, juices with like a bunch of greens and all that. And they've just got like everything you need as a vegan. It's a bit of a vegan paradise there. They got like the black salt to put on your scrambled eggs to make it taste eggy, uh, to put on your scrambled tofu, I mean, to make it taste eggy. Mm. They got a bunch of nutritional yeast. They got... um. I don't know. It's like they do the bulk packaging so you can get bulk oats and all that kind of stuff, which I'm into. So, yeah, that's probably the joint. Yeah. I mean, everyone I have interviewed so far is in the U.S. and everyone says Whole Foods. So, I'm glad that you have of course. a new grocery store. Yeah. If I was living in the U.S., it would probably be Whole Foods too. I love that you can just go there and get all those ready-made meals. They're so yummy. Some of the tofu things they've got going on there is like chicken tofu vibe. It, oh, my mm -hmm. God. So good. Yeah, Ari always gets the, um, it's like an orange chicken, like a Chinese chicken, but it's seitan and it's so good. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. 
And then the last thing is called Would You Rather Foodie Edition, which is just like this or that rapid fire. Are you ready? Cool. Yes. Okay. Peanut butter or almond butter? Almond butter. Pasta or pizza? Pasta. Cookies or brownies? Cookies. Spinach or kale? Kale. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Smoothie or juices? Smoothie. For sure. Yeah, smoothies are the best. They're like my favorite food. I have a smoothie every single morning and I couldn't live without it. You're living the dream, mate. Hot fudge or caramel? Hot fudge. Ooh, yum. Lemon or lime? I like this game. Lime. Hummus or guacamole? Hummus all day. Pesto or marinara sauce? Um, pesto for sure. Same. Love pesto. And that's it. That's that's Would You Rather Foodie Edition. Oh, cool. All right. Wicked. Made me hungry. I'm going to go have some breakfast now. Yes. Enjoy your breakfast. Thank you so much. Times 100 for being on the Healthy Girl podcast. I'm sure everyone learned so much. And... James, where can everyone find you? It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube under my name, James Aspie. I'm also thinking of starting a TikTok today. I keep hearing that that's a good place for me to be. So I'm going to check that out soon. Oh, definitely. I actually just joined the TikTok bandwagon. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. I'll look for you on there. Yes, definitely. And um, James, if someone wants to start being vegan, what, is there like a website or a resource that they should look for? Yeah. The best one that you can go to is Veganuary. So veganuary.com. And that has just been rated the number one way to assist people in going vegan. So definitely check that out. Or you could go to challenge22.com. It's like a mentor program where they will, any question you have, anything you need, they, they send you everything and um, there's always someone there that will coach you. That's for free as well. So they're the two best ones, Veganuary and Challenge 22. Perfect. And obviously I have a ton of free vegan, healthy plant-based recipes on my website, on my Instagram. So if you're looking for like super easy, yummy recipes, you can also visit my stuff but yes thank you again james absolutely my pleasure and great work and um, keep it up i hope you enjoyed this week's episode be sure to rate comment and subscribe and we'll see you next time